Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Avoiding fitness is often a trauma response. It's not laziness or lack of dedication. This is the cultural divide we fight to close. Hi, Feisties. I'm glad you're here. Our guest shared what I just read on her Instagram, and it really made me think. If you went bowling, she writes, and every time you bowled, everyone at the bowling alley was trying to not look like you or bowl like you, it would not feel good. If there was something about your body that made it difficult to keep up with the other bowlers, but that was ignored by the bowling alley staff, resulting in you falling behind or having to figure things out on your own, it wouldn't feel good. But imagine if your entire life you had negative experiences, you were bullied by peers and told by family members you needed to change. Your identity was rejected daily. Society in general doesn't support you or how you bowl. And you are reminded every day that you are not as good as the other bowlers. All of it becomes overwhelming and stacks up to a point where you stop going to the bowling alley altogether. Believing that bowling, or fitness, has one set of standards, one look, and one way to approach it is the divide we are trying to close. If we continue to dish a one-size-fits-all standards without acknowledging the trauma that comes with lived experiences, then we continue to traumatize without even knowing it. These are the words of Louise Green, author of Big Fit Girl and Fitness for Everyone. She's a trainer and educator and consultant who has worked in the fitness industry for 17 years. Most recently, Louise launched the Size Inclusive Training Academy to educate fitness professionals on how to work with folks in bigger bodies. As you will see, Louise is a true entrepreneur and pioneer and is as feisty as they come. Hi, Louise. Great to see you. Great to see you. So good to get feisty with you. Yes. Let's get feisty. Amazing. Let's get feisty. <laughs> <laughs> I like, you know, I was just looking through um, your website and I read that like your vision is a world where everybody can achieve their athletic potential regardless of size. That's like a huge goal. You know, like at Feisty, our goal is also to like build an empowering culture for active women, right? So yeah. how do you get started on such a big goal? 
Well, it's been a very long journey uh, to try to achieve this goal. And, you know, for people to feel invited and welcome into the fitness culture as it stands or as it has stand in the last decade or so um, has been has been a bit of a battle for people to feel welcome and, and to be able to cross those barriers and really like unleash their inner athlete, no matter what size they are. And I think it's cultural change that it isn't just me doing it. It takes like an army of people. It's you doing it. It's, you know, all the people that we see on social media doing it. It's a cultural shift that we need to see happen so that people can really feel included and welcome and that, you know, their needs will be met when they get there and that they have a good experience when they engage in physical fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, how do you hold that balance between this is something I deal with myself too, like between having such a big goal, like thinking about like, these are the ways that I want the world to change and your, your actual next step on the day-to-day level. Like, how do you make those decisions? I'm at a place right now where I look at the impact of the work. So if an opportunity comes up and I, and I, check it out and I think about it, I really am looking for the highest impact opportunities Mm. because I started with very low impact opportunities where I was working face-to-face one-on-one. Well, doing that will take, you know, hundreds of years if it's just a one-to-one. And then over time, and and as I've kind of quote unquote paid some dues, um, bigger opportunities came and I just now it's like, if it's not a big opportunity, that's going to reach a lot of people. Um, I, I will usually decline and just, you know, make sure that it's going to impact people in a way that my mission states that I want it to. Yeah. And I know like you've been doing this work since the early two thousands. Am I right about that? I opened my first fitness business in 2007. So (laughs) yeah. And when I think about that, like the world that we lived in, in 2007, like you were a pioneer, right? Like now, like you just said, we're having the conversation on social media about the difference between weight, for example, and being fit, you know, like there's lots of different, there's these conversations are nuanced and layered, but like in 2007, there was kind of a, almost this cultural connection between like the size of your body and being fit. So like, how did you first see through all that bullshit? And then how did you, what was the response when you started to talk about it? Yeah, things have definitely shifted. Um, so how, how I started to talk about it was that I lived it. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, pursuing athletics in a larger body and I was often pursuing them in the, you know, chase of being in a smaller body. And I started to recognize over time that the two were kind of not congruent. You can be athletic and you can be in a bigger body. And it was really this one run running coach that I had that really changed that perspective because up until then it was really big in the time of step aerobics and like, you know, that kind of fitness was, was what was happening. And, and it was always like screaming from the front, bikini season's coming, like go hard. Oh, and yeah. I'd be like going hard, like <laughs> desperately, like, you know, full of shame, like fuck, bikini season's coming. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. and this woman was like, never mentioned body. She was in a bigger body. Mm. She was about the athleticism. 
She was about, let's talk about, you know, performance nutrition. Let's talk about, you know, ways that you can get faster. Let's talk about ways to recover. Like she talked to us like we were athletes and it was never about let's get you slimmer so you can be faster or, you know, let's, let's change the way that your body looks. And this was in two, even before I opened my fitness business, she's the reason I opened it. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the first person, cause this was before the days of Instagram. I know I'm kind of, you know, aging myself here and, but you know, we didn't have a visual representation of larger bodied athletes at that time. They were not showing up in magazines and they were not on social media because it didn't exist. And the only way that you could see a woman like that was to actually see a woman like that. Um, And so she was the first visual representation of a fitness leader in a larger body that I'd ever seen. She was the first visual representation of a woman in a larger body that was not trying to be a woman in a smaller body. And she was the first person that talked about athleticism at every size. And after I trained with her, I did, you know, I finally did my first 5k and that was such a huge deal at the time. And then it just went like 10ks and half marathons and triathlons. And I started to realize from her modality, which was never talking about the body and well, talking about it in a way that it would, you know, lean towards performance that I was like, holy shit, like people need to know about this. People need to get off the scale at Weight Watchers and focus on the athletic goals and Mm -hmm. stop starving yourself. You can't achieve anything while you're hungry. Mm -hmm. Did you, was that kind of through that process with that trainer, was that sort of your aha moment when you realized like shit has to change? Totally. Yeah. That's when it changed for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how did that How long between then and when you started your own business? Well, I don't think it was very long. I think it was a couple of years. So I went and I got certified as a fitness professional. And I was very low key about that because I was embarrassed that I was in a bigger body and I didn't want people to know that I was a fitness professional. And I worked in film and television and I worked in commercials. So the shiniest, beautiful, most beautiful young looking people were being cast in the commercials. And we were actually responsible um, of sitting behind the desk and saying, you know, you need to lose some weight or you need to whiten your teeth. So Mm -hmm. we were always giving those tips for that perfect perfectionism Mm -hmm. and, you know, totally lending a hand to the beauty ideal. Mm -hmm. And it, I was training with Chris on the weekends and I'd go back to my desk job on Monday. And I was like, wait a second, after a bit of time, I'm like, this is not reconciling for me anymore. Like I can't, I can't do that. And then this anymore. Mm -hmm. So I did leave. And that's when I opened my business. It was called body exchange in 2007. Mm -hmm. And it was a fitness boot camp for people in plus size bodies. Yeah. I, I just, sort of back to here, but like, I just keep thinking of the context of 2007. Like, did you get pushback on that message, the original message? Very much. Like it was, it was like, you know, the TLC shows that they have on that are really like basically train wrecks that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're taking people's lives and making them, they're sensationalizing them. And that's where the media was with this in 2007. They were like, here's a bunch of fat people exercising, let's get them right. So Mm -hmm. in fact, my business received a lot of attention, a lot of attention and not the type of attention 
that you necessarily would want at that point. And so really I've seen the, there has been definitely a cultural shift since then, especially with media. Um, I think that there's been some things that have happened in history that have had people had to sit up and say, hey, we're not being inclusive here. And I think that that's happening more with other identities. I think still to be a large person in North America is still a very undervalued identity. Um, To be a large woman is even worse. Yeah, I really, you know, when I was looking through your Instagram, I found um, a post about how like avoiding fitness is sometimes a trauma response. I was really, I'd like you to sort of explain and unpack it, but like, I was really, I mentioned it to like whoever would listen for the next two days, because I had never thought about the fact that like in many gyms, you pointed out like that in many gyms, a lot of people are there to look not like you look kind of thing. It's like going like, and I, and that really struck me. I thought, wow, that's, I can sort of, I started to have the feeling of that kind of trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like you really said it well. So could you just unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's not just in the gym where you go in, where people are trying not to look like you. It's Mm -hmm. really everywhere. You're, you're walking through life kind of not really fitting. Um, Particularly if your body is like a size 20 or larger, you're not going to be able to sit comfortably at the white spot or, Um, in a booth. Um, You're not going to be able to get on a plane comfortably. You're not going to like the world just isn't designed for you. Mm -hmm. And the health and fitness culture or fitness industry, they're not trained for you. They don't necessarily understand that this life of, of feeling like you don't fit does come with trauma. There's, you know, points in PE class, like how many times have I heard from clients hundreds of clients that their drop-off point for physical fitness was in high school. And it was because those experiences like dodgeball and like, you know, where you've got really athletically inclined kids that are, you know, seeking collegiate positions or whatever they're doing, they're going off into, you know, semi-pro, whatever. And then you've got kids that are in larger bodies that have never been athletic or, or because of science, basically, the, the how to move mass, they're always going to be slower. Mm. So we've kind of had this experience that has been terrible for them because it's amongst your peers. To be a fat kid in high school is not cool. And it still isn't today. Um, you know, I just found out at my son's high school that there's, there's a, there's an Instagram account called whale watch, where they take pictures of fat people in the high school. And so this is still very prevalent where your identity is really devalued. And so to walk into those spaces where mostly fitness professionals are pretty buff and, you know, they've they've got a body that doesn't look like yours most of the time Mm -hmm. and kind of the rhetoric in the space, the vibe, the culture that in a lot of fitness spaces is to not be you. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that people have felt or heard for the first time. It's something that's carried through their lives for for a long period of time that, you know, will bring up things like the dodgeball or the high school, the morning mile. How many times have I heard people just left in the dust? The class was over before they could finish. Mm. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm wondering, like, with that, 
that description, like that, that's like a lifetime of trauma, like that you're talking about. How did you, how did you learn to work with clients? Like with that kind of trauma, how did you help them? And then now I think you're trying to educate the next layer of people, right? Like those of us who are, are helping folks, like how do, how did you do it essentially? What, What did you do differently? Well, that was really what the media didn't like about my business is that it was exclusionary to plus size people because the plus size person has often felt excluded from our fitness culture, just on the way that the foundations of it are built. And so, you know, one, one headline was gym ban skinny people. It's like, that's not really what the intention was. It that was, was a headline about your business. Yes. I, I was never a gym. We were an, we were at a boot camp that traveled, but the headline on the front page of our province newspaper was gym bans skinny people. And um, that's what I mean about those sensationalized uh, media headlines. So that was the first thing that I did is I said that you had to be in a larger body and there was no metric. It wasn't like we sized you up or weighed you or, you know, measured you or anything. It was just the people, the people that it was for knew that it was for them. And it created this safe place where they could go amongst their own. And, you know, some people will say that, segregating people isn't the way to go because, you know, we should be able to all work together and mix and inspire one another. But until we're in a different culture, I do believe in, you know, safe spaces for people to move their bodies. Yeah, I do too. We get that feedback as well about being a women's only space often Yes, that we're excluding men, but I, I really do believe like there's all kinds of different approaches to change making. So there are places where we need to work together and all be in the same space. And then there's other places where certain groups need to be able to do something for themselves and be around their people. And like you say, have a safe space. So I totally believe that. Um, how do you coach the coaches and trainers to coach better? We developed a 15-hour curriculum that really shines a light on the lived experience of people because I don't believe that people are just jerks and can't be bothered. I think it's that they, they, they don't have the lived experience, nor do I have the lived experience of other marginalized people, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a moment to kind of learn more about that lived experience and have a better understanding of what you know, it's not just walking through the gym that is the barrier. There are many barriers, finding clothing to fit your body to even attempt to exercise. You know, you can't buy clothes off the rack at my size. I have to order everything online. So there's just, there's multiple barriers that um, people face just to start to exercise. And then when you show up and it's kind of like, you know, people don't really know how to train you in the way that is going to be sustainable. Um I think that we really focus on that through this curriculum and there's so many facets of it Mm -hmm. from how spatial differences of how different bodies move um, to their lived experience, to how people perform in balance exercises, to the physiology of it all. It's, it's a special population that's not being um, recognized in the fitness industry. We have special populations for third age, for older aging adults. We have post uh, pre and postnatal fitness. Um, We have youth. And this is another area that we need to have specialized education so that people have equity 
to come into these spaces and have the same access to health and fitness that everyone else has. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect 
pillow match. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off. And the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. In a, in a practical sense, what would that look like? So if, you know, let's say we were running a ordinary gym, <laughs> there's gym equipment, there's, you know, <laughs> any, they, they're, they're promoting that anyone can come, you know, what would that facility change to make it more inclusive? Like what would be a, a list for them? I actually have a 36 checkpoint list that I've created. Excellent. There are so <laughs> many things like, you know, depending on the individual, I'm not saying that everyone in a larger body, you know, can't walk a few blocks to get in the door. But like, for example, a lot of gyms have turnstiles as you come in. So er- immediately you're like, I can't even fit in the door. Um, so things just consider people sitting in a seat. If you're doing a consultation, if there's, you know, arms on either side, getting onto treadmills when they're tightly spaced right beside each other, cycling studios that are tightly packed, um, you know, being able to load plates on a machine and get, and take them off. Is there enough space for the person? Does the weight, um, restrictions on the equipment work for these individuals? You know, there's a big, huge list that goes on and on with this, but um, it's a lot of things that people would not think about because they haven't lived in a larger body. Mm, I'm thinking too of like some of the ways that bias might play out, like in like if you were doing an intake form for something with a new client, how, you know, you might, I could see making sure that, you know, that we separate the questions about like what asking everyone, no matter what they look like, what their fitness background is, their sports background and assessing, you know, like that kind of stuff, I feel like could, could be 
brutal right off the bat. It is. We do a whole segment on an intake Mm. Um, because I'm, I'm often assumed that it's my first time walking in a gym. People come up to me and say, do you need help with, you know, like, oh, just keep coming back and it'll work for you. Like mm-hmm. what will work? Like I've been working in this industry, you know, like don't assume what my goals are. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of stuff that I think that weight bias is rampant, but it's so rampant in our culture that it's normalized. Mm. You, I saw you've been lifting on Instagram. Have you been lifting for a long time? Um, I've been lifting in that capacity now for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so working on Olympic lifting and mm-hmm. I just love it. It's my thing. Amazing. Yeah, I do too. I think it's so good for women too, especially as we age, to like keep that bone density and all of that stuff. Um, so it's always fun to like, oh yeah, there's there's Louise, she's lifting. Um, do you find, you know, we did recently we launched our first online course and it was about fueling specifically for female athletes, um, a nutrition course, but we also started by unpacking a lot of the cultural pieces, like the kind of how we came to where we are with the sort of toxic diet culture stuff that we have, and even like sports diet culture around how we imagine athletic bodies to be. And, and we, we unpack that. Um, do you find one of the things that we found as we were doing the research for it is that like with, when it comes to like eating disorders, low energy availability, red S, those kinds of things that like often people in larger bodies, like aren't believed or that like the symptoms of those things aren't recognized Mm -hmm. because, um, because of our assumptions. Um, do you find that with your clients? Like, do you find that a lot of folks are in like energy deficiency? Yeah. um, We also do a section on this in in the course about eating disorders, because when somebody's living in a fat body, they they people will not assume that they have an eating disorder. I mean, they might think that they're they have a binge eating disorder, but you know, that they're under eating is not is not usually thought of. And so because this audience has such a long and fraught relationship with diet culture. I think that most of them are under eating in the way that, um, you know, lacking in protein and like kind of in those um, kitschy diety lingering, even if somebody says, oh yeah, I don't diet anymore. There's, there's this residual that's happening and it's still very much there where food is moralized and it's good or I was good or I was bad or whatever. Um, and I think that, cause when I tell my clients, like, I want you to eat, like, I want you to eat actually in, in, in abundance. Um, the, the food plan that I'm on right now is like, it's hard to eat all the food, um, because we're supposed to eat uh, quite a bit of food when we're training hard. Right. And I think that we are, that, that word deficit is so drilled into our head that, you know, people get scared that they're, they're going to eat too much or they're, you know, there's always this narrative going on, this rhetoric around, um, food and body. It's, it's so strong. Yeah. I, there's a new study. We talked about this in one of our live sessions for the fueled course last week with our exercise physiologist, but there's a study that came out a couple of weeks ago where they had both and and I'm not, I don't know the details of it, but like they had both female and male mice and humans that they tested <laughs> and they put them on um like a caloric deficit diet and the male species, <laughs> the humans and the mice 
lost weight and the females didn't. It was like really interesting, right? Because of that, like the long-standing like calories in, calories out idea. And for I know for me, like I have always felt like, no, there's some other X factor related to my hormones that's going on here. So it's interesting that there's finally kind of some science coming out around like, like we are actually designed to hold on to weight so that we can make babies, you know? And like, it's um, like, okay, finally, like, I think that's going to, that study is going to probably break open a whole lot of other work done. Um, Do you find that like when you have male clients or female clients, like how do you handle it? Here's, here's the question. How do you handle it? Like if you have a client or one of your coaches that you're working with as a client who actually wants to lose weight as one of their goals, like, do you then discourage that? Or how do you handle that in a, in the broader context of like all of their goals? One of the things that I teach, and this is kind of like the modality that I've worked in for many years with clients is that I'm actually not trained in nutrition and therefore I don't give a lot of nutrition advice other than that piece. When you're going to be working out and you're training, you've got to be smart about what you're going to put into your body before that. What you do on a Friday night is, is up to you, but you know, um, I think we have a lot of fitness professionals out there that are doing this food plan, exercise plan thing when they're Mm -hmm. actually not really qualified to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I will give the focus on the fitness part. And I'll say sometimes a benefit, if this is what you're looking for, a side benefit to moving more and being more mindful about what you're putting in your body for training purposes is weight loss. But as long as we are focusing on the weight loss, which you know, a lot of my clients over many years, that was the only focus. Um, They come to me and there's this like fraught relationship with the scale and it triggers all kinds of things that really needs more professional help than I have on the table. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So the side benefit sometimes is weight loss. Right. Yeah. Right. I like that. Um, Just take the focus off the weight loss you know? Um, okay. Another question I'm wondering is like your own kind of relationship with your, you know, I talked to Marley Blonsky who runs all bodies on bikes. Um, and she's had this wonderful, um, idea about like, she couldn't quite reach loving her body. So she felt like the body positivity kind of movement was a little Mm -hmm. bit beyond her reach, but she could reach body neutrality. Like how do you, how do you feel about that scale? I think it's a very difficult relationship that people have had for many years with their bodies. And so to expect when you're, you know, kind of pushing, pushing that toxic positivity onto people like love your body. And like really to do that takes a lot of unpacking and a lot of work from the inside out. Um, I really like the purpose of neutrality so that, you know, I did a post about this yesterday. If you're hating on yourself all the time, there's no way that you can rise to your highest potential. You just can't with that kind of thinking in your mind. And so it, and I, and I framed the post yesterday in just a 24 hour period, just have some body appreciation. Um, I've lost a couple of people in my family in one year in my immediate family. Mm. And I think that we take for granted just living 
and breathing and moving and people that would love to be able to move. Like there's so much to appreciate about your body. We're still very stuck on aesthetics. So, you know, that's what people often are equating their body dislike to is how I look when there's so many other markers to look at, to have that body appreciation. Let's talk about language a little bit, you know, um, you know, it's like some people are super comfortable with the word fat or some people prefer larger bodies. Like, how do you, what do you like to, how do you like to use language yourself? And then how do you like to be referred to? Um, I use the term larger bodied most of the time when I'm addressing people, when I'm teaching people, you know, we also talk about language in the course because some people are liberating themselves with the word fat. There's a lot of people that are not. Mm. And so that still seemed as, you know, insulting. Um, And, you know, some people will say to avoid the word is actually fat phobic in itself. But I think that I'm more in the place of meeting people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And then slowly start to unpack the idea that fat's actually not bad. It's it's the opposite of thin. So when we say thin, nobody gets offended. When we say fat, everyone gets offended. And it's not actually because of the words. It's because of the weight that we've given to fat. Mm-hmm. The whole cultural weight behind that three-letter word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love what you, I love like meeting people where they're at. That's something that, that I really believe in as well. Um, and then I also think there's like a both and with that kind of stuff. Cause I also love reclaiming language, right? Like even the name of our company feisty, like originally there were some women, especially like older generations who were called feisty in a very negative way if they were outspoken. And so they said, like, no, I don't like that word, but we kind of said, oh, we're reclaiming it, you know? Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of a both and approach, but I love what you said, like meet people where they're at, use the language they use, right? Yeah, it's it's a bit touchy. So, um, and also I'm meeting the fitness professionals that we work with where they're at, mm. because a lot of them don't understand fat liberation. And so that's the point of education. Mm-hmm. How do you, so let's say at that, in that moment, like when you've met a fitness professional, you feel like, oh, they're not on the page, (laughs) you know, and what would be your starting point? Like, how would you meet that person where they're at? Um, Well, typically I'm in like a, a teaching setting and there've been people in my course that um, certainly are, they're curious about it, but they're on the fence and they're not sure if they can actually adopt this modality of kind of weight neutrality and, and just meeting them where they're at, I guess is, you know, really, again, it comes back to sharing the lived experience we have in our course, uh, people that are on video that talk about their experiences in fitness and I think when it's evidence-based that people can't really argue with it. It's like, I didn't realize that this was happening. Um, and also there's a lot of language in in the course that we talk about. Like, I know this is hard to, to grasp. This is not what we've been taught. This is not what our society, you know, I'm I'm acknowledging that this is a hard thing to grasp. But I'm telling you, after 17 years of teaching people to reclaim their bodies in athletics, this is the sustainable way. The way that we're doing it is, isn't sustainable. It's, it's, it's creating a divide. And so, um, you know, just meeting them where they're at, 
and acknowledging that it's a difficult, it's difficult to understand because of the society that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in your ideal world, what does the fitness industry look like? It looks like more trainers in diverse bodies. Um, you know, that's hard for people to show up in fitness culture to get a job because they're, you know, they're not accepted in the way that they show up. Um, so I'd like to see more leadership in larger bodies. I think that would really beckon people into the spaces. And I'd like to see the education delivered to as many fitness professionals as possible. Um, I'd like to see representation in media and advertising really switched up from this hardcore ripped young white, you know, uh, imagery that we constantly see and, and be much more diverse from ability and age and size and all different aspects. Um, I think if we could really educate and change the representation of what's happening out there, we could really usher so many more people into these spaces. How did you, you mentioned your course a lot. How did you approach the course building process? Like what was your, we just built a course too. So I'm like partially just personally curious, but how did you figure out the curriculum and who to include and how to find experts and all that kind of stuff? Um, it took a year and I had three people working on it with me. Um, so it was a huge undertaking to create 15 hours and it started with what's really lacking. Like where is, where's the holes in, in the system? Like what's, what's happening here? Why are people not understanding, um, you know, the best ways to work with people in larger bodies. And so really just kind of, I kind of approached it like I would writing a book in chapters. And then once we finished the course, we put it out there, it was four modules. And then we're like, wait a second, taught it a few times and added three more modules. So wow, um, I think that, you know, we recognize that, you know, by teaching it, we learned what was missing. And yeah, I could still even write more modules. Like it just, it could go on and on and on really. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the process about what, you know, after having my business for so long, what are this, the pain points of the conversations? Mm-hmm. Like my clients have really been my biggest teachers. Right. So what are each of the modules? Like what are those pain points that you addressed? Uh, module one is body image and disordered eating and exercise, because I want people to understand and recognize how people in larger bodies can easily spin into that, into that mode because of the society that we live in, that's chronically telling them to be in a smaller body. Um, so we, you know, interviewed a lot of people in that, some experts and module two is on weight bias in the lived experience. And it's a huge module. Module three, I don't know if I can remember them all at the top of my head, but module three is um, training larger bodies, um, the modality behind that. So understanding how bodies bend and move and all the uh, tips and tricks for working with people, the equipment. Um, Module four was form and physiology, because we often hear the saying, um, this is the good form or this is the correct form. Oh, mm-hmm. And that is coming from my slim body experience, because there are certain forms that larger bodies can't take. 
So I used to have trainers come in that were new to being fitness professionals and they'd be all hands-on trying to move people's bodies. And, and I'd be like, get your hands off them for one. And for two, their body doesn't move like that. It doesn't work for them. So it doesn't matter how much hands-on movement you're going to do. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, then we do a full case study section where people go in and they, um, you know, they get a fictitious client that they need to do an intake with. They need to set up a training program for them. And then we do um, gym equipment, the placement of setting up your gym. And then we do marketing for size inclusion. That sounds amazing. How do we find your course? How could, can someone just buy it? Yes, anyone can buy it. Um, it's at our website, which is sizeinclusivetraining.com. Cool. And then I, I have to ask this question. <laughs> you could be like, you could be like, where did you get that from? But did you have a partnership with Barbie at some point? I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was Barbie's 60th birthday. I think okay. it was, there yeah. was this big celebration for Barbie. Um, and so Barbie is actually, it's kind of an interesting thing because when I was younger, I played with Barbie mm-hmm. and it was like the perky boobs and the small waist and the blonde hair. Right. But Barbie's come a long way. Like they've really, you know, designed some Barbies to really be reflective of all different walks of life now. And, you know, Barbie's even educated, you could get Dr. Barbie or, you know, you can get you know, she's not just this woman that drives around in her um, Winnebago with Ken. Um, so when they did her 60th birthday, they reached out to all different ambassadors across North America to celebrate the birthday. And what I did for my ambassadorship was um, set up a boot camp for young girls in the store at Toys R Us. And we took, we boxed with them. We did, um, you know, agility and we did like empowering fitness with girls that were anywhere from four to 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think it, I think I was invited because they wanted that representation. They want young girls to see, you know, what different women look like. Mm -hmm. And can you buy, are are Barbies different shapes now? Like, you can get size inclusion in the dolls themselves. I don't know if there's like a larger bodied Barbie. I don't think there is, but I think there's slight different shapes and all different races and all different looks. And I know that there's Barbie that's, um, you know, got different abilities. Um, I think there's, pro- you know, a Barbie with a prosthetic and a Barbie in a wheelchair. Like they've really tried to be reflective so that, young girls can see themselves through the play of, of playing with dolls. Yeah. You know, I was um, at a conference once and I, on a panel was the woman and I forget her name who was in, who came up with that original marketing campaign of like, let's actually change the dolls. Right. And I would love to ask her, like, how did you talk them into it? (laughs) You know, like how many times have I been working with the company just saying like, listen, like just, do this. Like you need to just make this 
some change, like the change often starts with the product. It's not just like we focus on marketing and representation and stuff, but if the product doesn't fit the people, then you can't sell it to them. Right. So like how you, you know, have you ever had those kind of conversations or been in, um, you know, where a company wants to maybe work with you, but you're like, Hey, yeah, but your shorts don't really fit that great or something like that. Like how have you navigated? Yeah. (laughs) How have you navigated that? I, I mean, I have people that will reach out and be like, we really want to partner with you. And I'm like, yeah, nothing, nothing that you have fits me. Like you haven't done your homework. Um, I think what's happening is that there's, you know, cause there is a cultural shift. And I think that there's a lot of brands that are behind the mark and they're, they're trying to play catch up. They've realized that they're not um, kind of the inclusive brand that they should be. So they are, you know, they're trying to like throw whatever they can at the wall, but they too don't have the education or the lived experience, right? There's no, there's no one sitting in a larger body at the table. Um, So they're trying their best to kind of be inclusive. Um, You know, a lot of DEI uh, departments were added to big corporations and um, ad agencies But diversity, equity, and inclusion very rarely, if ever, talks about fatness. Yeah, that's a real, I've heard that before. I think maybe you've told me that or someone else told me that, but you're right. Like it's very much, and like one of those things, like in the sports industry, like we've been talking about, like, you know, we're talking about a massive market of people who want to be active, who are living in bigger bodies, right? So like, I feel like the argument there for the business argument there it should be well founded you know um we are working with a company called orca they make wetsuits right and they have been for a long time trying to be more inclusive and recently they created two sizes of wetsuits that are wider you know and it's interesting because i've seen other um brands go through this too. And I'm kind of wondering what you think about this process or if you've seen this before, where like when you start to try to make a change, it's like you maybe add one size or two sizes or shape things slightly differently, but like you have to start somewhere and see where the market is. But then the pushback, even that like, I'm getting a little bit on our end from working with this company is that like, oh, but those two sizes don't go far enough. Right. Yes. And I'm like, well, of course they don't. Like, <laughs> yeah. of course they don't. But like as a company, I get it because like I have a company too. You run a business, you probably understand. Like, you have to do one thing before you can do two things and then 12 different things, right? To like test the market, see if it works, see if people will buy those sizes of wetsuit from you, et cetera. Um, so, what, ha- you know, have you dealt with companies like that before? Like, where you've watched the process go from like micro to macro? Um, I recently did some consulting with Mountain Equipment Company, it's called now, mm-hmm. and they are rolling out some plus size apparel. Um, you know, another company that I think realized that there's this very large market in Canada that they could be tapping into and and they are and they've got beautiful things coming out. Um, but there was a lot of trial and error. And I think what the the issue is, is that when bodies become larger, um, they take different form. So um, where the curves are and where, you know, somebody may hold their weight, some people are holding it more in the bottom of the body, some in the top of the body, some have big boobs, some don't. Um, and so it's difficult to scale. And I think what a lot of people do is they, 
they take their small size and then they just make it bigger and they just right. scale it. And they're not really taking the form of, of, you know, we, no. Cause then what happens is, and yeah, I can tell right away is that I have this big gaping armpit thing that happens because you can tell they've just made a bigger version of their small. Right. And they're not really taking into account the, the form of a larger body. Um, and yes, companies will get flack if they're going from a one one uh, X to a three X that it's not, it's, you know, it's not being inclusive to everyone. And it, you're right. It isn't. And I don't think people are proclaiming that it is, but you have to move this needle slowly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people have to understand that there's commerce at play and there's, there's, there's business at play here as well. Um, but I think what's happening on the other end is that people are angry because they've been so underserved for so long and it's made it very difficult, particularly with wetsuits, because I mean, I used to do triathlon, um, the, the wetsuit I have right now would never fit me. It was really difficult to get into in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was strangling in it and it's already, you know, hard enough to do the triathlon, but imagine being strangled. So it's, it's been a real point of frustration so that when people are trying to do their best and trying to extend things out that um, they're met with, you know, not sometimes the most kindest comments Um, companies, you know, are, are trying though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some companies that you see that are doing a good job right now? Um, I do think mountain equipment co-op is doing a great job Uh, when it comes out. It's not out yet. Um, There's a company in the U.S. called uh, Superfit Hero. They go to a 7X and they have really great performance wear. Um, their leggings are great. Um, other, I mean, all the majors are doing a one up, up to a 3X. So Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, they're, they're doing a 3X. But you don't have to be that big to be a 3X. So mm-hmm. what I think people don't recognize is that the larger body population in the United States is 70%. So when we look at people that are considered overweight or obese, and I'm using that terminology as I'm quoting a you know medical terminology, um, that's 70% of the population in the United States. So we're talking about uh, close to, I think it's 180 million people mm. um, or more, it's more because I think there's over 300 million people there. Um, So it's a huge market that is very underrepresented in media and advertising, and it's very underserved. So if we can't get companies to come to the table with being inclusive just for the sake of humanity, I will tell you that you're missing a lot of money on the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Louise, I love everything that you're about and everything you're doing. Um, you've just finished this course. Uh, what are you working on now? I'm trying to get the course into universities at the moment to kinesiology and um, social justice departments. Um, you know, there's a real there's a real shift in the social justice education as well, as far as starting to include the conversation around larger body people. Um, you know, in the United States, there's still acceptable discrimination around that. And so um, we're trying to get that education at, at that level. And I'm percolating on a new book that's called Fitness Justice. It doesn't have a deal yet, but I'm 
in the process of writing proposals and working with my agent. I love that name. I'm immediately like, I want that book. (laughs) (laughs) Good. We've got one sale. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. You could tell you could tell that to the your agent, your publisher. (laughs) I'm sure that'll put them over the edge. (laughs) Done. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, how do we follow you? I think the most uh, common place to go is on Instagram mm-hmm. at Louise Green underscore Big Fit Girl. Awesome. Well, we will be following along. Thank you so much for the conversation and everything you do. Yeah, you too. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. 
Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.